0: You're listening to The Omni Show, where we connect with the amazing communities surrounding the Omni Group's award-winning products. My name's Andrew J. Mason, and today we have CEO Ken Case with the Omni Roadmap 2022 post-WWDC update. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Omni Show. My name is Andrew J. Mason, and today we are hanging out with the Omni Group CEO, Ken Case, unpacking WWDC and all the announcements that come out of Apple and how it intersects with the Omni Group. And we're honored to have the Ken Case in the house. Thank you so much for being here, Ken. Oh, thank you. It's my honor. Well, let's jump right into it. And when reading through the Roadmap blog post of 2022, early January, you gave some airtime to the world around us, kind of this context surrounding us before moving forward. And over the last three years, we know that a lot has changed. Uh, What was on your mind over the last six months since you last checked in with the Roadmap? Yeah, well, our hearts go out to all of the people in Ukraine who are dealing with much harder circumstances
1: right now than anything I feel like we're having to go through. We're relieved to be finally hitting the tail end of COVID and people feeling comfortable going back into the offices or starting to travel again and so on. Thanks to to vaccinations. Very happy about that. I don't think we're going to go back to exactly what we had before. You know, life is not exactly the same. It shouldn't necessarily be. So for example, when a lot of our work we're still doing from home rather than going back into the office every day the way we used to and we're not expecting that to change anytime soon or ever really. I think people are enjoying being able to work from home but to have the flexibility to go into the office from time to time if they want to change of pace and just want to see people and as a result you know we've had to think a little bit differently about what it's like to work with a mostly remote team and what meetings how meetings work and so on were. Now, if you're in the office and it's time for a meeting, instead of everybody getting together in a conference room to get in the same place, we all scatter and go to different corners of the office so that, you know, everybody can be on the same playing field in the video conference, whether you're there in the office or remote.
0: So, yeah, there, there are definitely some changes in the world. And I love how the fact that there are changes in the world are not keeping you from moving forward in this. The first part of your roadmap talks about OmniFocus 4 and the progress that's being made there and the different phases or freezes, I guess I should say, uh, of the development process. So there's uh, feature, design, usability, freeze. Can you talk us through that process and kind of where the team finds itself? Sure. For those who haven't been following the test builds closely, uh,
1: since we started this process a little over a year ago now, We've shipped 133 test builds at the time of this recording with, you know, more than a thousand changes and improvements over that time. If you look at the release notes, the release notes are pretty long right now. I don't think many people are <laughs> reading through all of that at this point. And so it's easy for things to get buried in that. We have to, from time to time, call things out. And of course, when we get closer to actually shipping, or introducing it to an even wider audience as we, as we hit some of these milestones. We'll need to sort of consolidate that and say, here's what you should be looking for. Here's the summary of all of these thousands of changes or what enhancements, improvements we've made so far. But where we are right now is the public test itself was a milestone that, that we reached last year, was a little bit before the summer. And then that public test grew and we were working towards our feature freeze, which is the milestone that, where we feel like all of the features are in place that we can describe now what the app is about. What it's doing start writing the documentation for it at a conceptual level but not everything looks the way it's going to look or as usable as it will be when we finish that milestone so we finished that milestone feature freeze milestone we had resolved about 1500 issues a few months ago and then we split our team to start bringing the mac app up to date with the latest features and to start working on the actually we call it the design freeze milestone and that's where the app is not just ready to describe in terms of its feature set, but it's actually ready for screenshots and so on, that the interface is stable enough that we can start taking pictures of it the, for their documentation and so on and continue on with that part in parallel. When we hit design freeze, which we're still working on right now, then after that, we'll turn our attention to the usability milestone. This is where some of the things, you know, may look correct, but they don't actually work the way they're supposed to yet. And from there, we'll also be looking at stability and performance. Of course, finishing the documentation that I mentioned, that's something we can do in parallel with usability, uh, stability, and performance. And then localization work is where we translate it to different languages, make sure that it's ready for people to use in different locales, that it, it speaks their language and then eventually it all comes together into code freeze. So we still have quite a bit of work ahead of us, but we are well on our way and feel like we've been making great
0: progress. Now, that's interesting to me. I'm not super familiar with software development cycles, Agile, or, you know, how anything standardized is done. I wasn't aware that this process was in place before this. Is this something that the team has always used, these milestones? Or is it something that's been developed over the last couple of years, almost in response to the changing environment?
1: This particular kind of layout of our milestones, I think, really is how we've always approached development. I mean, some of it has changed over time. It used to be that we also had some stages of, well, at what point are you burning CDs, and at what point are you printing boxes? And you know, those had also had to have screenshots. They had to have documentation. They had, and then there was this whole manufacturing process involved. Of now, we're assembling the boxes and shipping them out, and, and so on. And, and obviously, that's not a change of the last few years. That was that's a change of the last fifteen years, as more and more people have moved to online purchasing in the App Store and so on. But so the process uh, was definitely more sort of fixed in the past (laughs) where you really wanted to hit that code freeze in time to now burn these cds and then get them assembled into the right boxes at the right time and you know everything out there and it was a kind of closely timed process now it's easier to be more flexible about that stuff. Uh, also you don't have to worry about when uh, retailers are wanting to put things on their shelves and so on right there was that whole purchasing and stocking cycle that (laughs) That was a major factor in the
0: past. So no more boxes. Yeah. Man, there is a part of me that's just nostalgic for walking through, finding things in boxes. I feel like I need to go track down a blockbuster video somewhere (laughs) if there's any in existence left. Maybe the metaverse will solve that. Maybe I can virtually walk around and look at the software I buy before I actually... Anyway. But the collaborative nature of something like slack that allows these tighter and tighter iterations of being able to see okay somebody likes that they don't like this and this is how we can change that's really cool i knew that feedback loop has tightened a little bit more over time yeah we love i mean we've always loved working with our customers to show them here's
1: what we're working on now how does this actually work in practice when you when the rubber meets the road and you're using it in your own lives we had a long public beta process, even for the very first release of OmniFocus 1 back in, you know, through 96. And and so when 1.0 was ready to ship,
0: we had a lot of people that were right there ready to say, yes,
1: I know it meets my needs and I'm ready to buy. It's
0: a nice way to work. Now, I do want to roll back just a couple of sentences because something you said, I'm afraid people might gloss over it if we don't draw extra attention to it. You mentioned OmniFocus 4. Uh, being released simultaneously on iPhone, iPad, and Mac all at the same time?
1: Yeah, so obviously we want OmniFocus 4 to be available not just on one platform or another. And one of the major shifts that we started with OmniPlan for it was towards delivering our products as a universal product, which I think was how a lot of customers were thinking about it anyway. It wasn't the way we were building it, so we weren't thinking about it that way. But it's important for us to adapt to our customers rather than the other way around. So we're now building OmniFocus for not just for iPhone and iPad at once and then for the Mac later, uh, or in fact, iPhone and iPad used to be separate apps as well. But we're building it all as one synchronously developed project that when we're ready to declare 4.0 is ready to ship, it will be available across all the platforms at once. Not, all right, here it's available for this platform and now in a few months it's available for the next and so on. The way we've done in the past. Uh, and then it could be a single purchase, and people just download it and use it on whichever devices are available to them at the time. Or if they switch to a different device, they don't have to worry about, oh, do I need to now buy it again? Because they already have a license that covers them everywhere.
0: That's phenomenal. And along with all of this, uh, still developing for OmniFocus for the web. Can you catch us up on what's been happening there? Sure. So, of course, we've been thinking a bit about how the changes in OmniFocus 4 will
1: will affect OmniFocus for the web because we want it to be ready at the same time as well. But OmniFocus for the web, it started much later than all of the other products. And so it didn't have support for things like attachments. And that's the latest feature that we're bringing over there. Uh, They're currently available in the public test versions of OmniFocus for the web, which anyone can get to at test.omnifocus.com. And uh, when you sign in there, now you can view your attachments and download the attachments and have them available on Windows rather than only available on your Mac and iPhone. So whenever we get a pause in terms of other things that are going on, we continue to build out OmniFocus for the web's feature set so that ultimately we want to have close parity there. We really wanted to do even more with attachments, being able to upload, have them in OmniFocus for the web. We haven't finished that yet because
0: we wanted to make sure we turn our attention over to getting this version, the version 4 feature set up and running. Definitely. And now there is something that you're catching folks up on that is really significant for enterprise customers. This is a feature that if you're a consumer may not change your day or your life, but if you're enterprise, this could be huge. What's this about? Sure. Well, this
1: is not maybe a surprise, but I don't know that we've shared it very broadly yet. For enterprise customers, we've been rolling out licensing support for site licenses that, that include single sign-on support or authentication. So it's for people who are technically minded, you know, it's called SAML authentication. And many thousands of users are now signing into our apps using their organization's single sign on accounts rather than having to create and maintain separate Omni accounts on our account server. So that makes it much easier for you know our largest customers to manage their thousands of licensed users when they hire a new employee. They added to their authorized list and, you know, they're not, obviously not just working with us, they're working with other vendors to do the same sort of thing. So those users can then sign into any Omni app using their work email address, but they could also sign into, you know, maybe an Adobe app or a Microsoft app or whatever. And, And that also means that as people come and go from different teams, it's easy to replace one account that was active with another and so on. And to only do it once in one place rather than having to say, okay, well now I've got to go through every piece of software that that employee was using and and update whether they should have access to it or not. The way it works if you're managing a team on our account system. So it does take more overhead to set up in the first place. And it's not something we do yet as a self-service option, but for large customers who are interested in, you know, we're happy to work with them and see what we do to make their lives a bit easier.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you're managing multiple Excel sheet rows with, you know, usernames in it and you're copying them in and out every single day, that's, I mean, this is a lifesaver for you. Yeah, we have one
1: customer who's, you know, already up to over 7,000 seats. Of, <laughs> and that, that would be a lot of users to be managing through a website interface rather than through their own existing accounts interface. Uh, for everybody else, this isn't the only work that we've been doing to try to simplify our licensing and account system. We've also been looking at getting rid of the distinction on our account system between team licenses and individual licenses. So that's one less decision you have to make when you go to our site and you purchase our products. You don't have to decide is this the team license or is this for me personally. And they're just licenses and you can assign them to team members if you want, or <laughs> you can hang on to them yourself
0: if you want. And of course, OmniFocus isn't the only software that's getting attention these days. What about the other apps on the roadmap? I think I hinted probably two years ago now
1: that we were going to be redesigning and rebuilding multiple apps, not just OmniFocus. OmniFocus was the first one that reached a public test phase just because of where our development cycles were. But we've also been hard at work on OmniGraffle and the features that we're looking to bring there are some things that customers have been asking us for decades. In fact, at this point, it's funny to think that Omnigrapple is now 20 years old. And so some of the features that other people have been asking for are the ability to theme, to apply themes to a diagram so that you don't have to think so much in advance or on a shape-by-shape basis about what is the theme for this thing going to be. We had something sort of similar in the diagram styles that we've had for years, but we really wanted to make something that's even easier for somebody to use and switch between and not have to spend a lot of time thinking about. And then another kind of a power feature that customers have been asking for for years is the ability to have reference objects where you build a shape or a group of shapes and you say, well, this is now kind of designed the way I want it to be sort of like we have in stencils now. But the big difference between reference objects and stencils are that when you put a stencil on the canvas and then you make some changes, they're no longer linked in any way to the stencil. They're just a copy of the stencil. And so if you go to change that stencil later on, and then you want to apply it to, you know, an existing document, you have to go back through and change every instance in the document to match what was the changes you made in the stencil. With reference objects, when you make the change to the reference object, it now applies anywhere within the document at your choice, because we don't want to, uh, you want to be able to have different versions of a document where you see what it used to look like before you made that change. So there's a bit of trickiness around that as well. And so we're getting to the point where we're very interested in feedback from, especially from people who've asked for this feature over the years. And we'd love to hear from anyone who's. You know, passionate about OmniGraffle
0: and interested in getting this new stuff to go. All right, and so WWDC rolls around, and I love this phrase that you use. Let me pull up your uh, let me pull up your blog post here. You say WWDC often brings us both gifts and homework, sometimes wrapped up in the same feature. Uh, can you break down what that means? Yeah, so
1: the easiest example of a combination gift and homework was something I posted about you know, a few years ago. Apple made some great improvements to the document browser that that initially the iPad didn't have at all, or, and, and the iPhone for that matter. They, or there wasn't a files app, there wasn't any sort of document browser that you could use in your own app. So when we brought Autonomy Graffle over to the iPad for its launch, we had to build our own. Like so many things at that time. But over the years, when Apple did introduce their own, you know, we compared it with ours and we're like, well, that's great, but you can't actually Rename documents very easily. There were lots of limitations around it. And so we, we didn't think it was ready to switch over to, but a few years went by and then they finally did have a kind of a version two of their document browser that was ready to adopt. And so we decided it was time. So it was a gift in one sense, because now we have these great capabilities that that document browser provided to the app, like being able to work with iCloud more easily, being able to work with other third-party syncing solutions like Dropbox and so on also more easily. But it was also a lot of homework because we had to go back and do a bunch of work, reworking our app in order to take advantage of this new thing, right? We had to rip out all of our old document browser and figure out how we were going to fit into the new architecture and so on. So the the good news about this year is at least we were not having to look at doing that for anything in Omni. <laughs> that way. We are looking at that for some of the things that Omni Grapple is, you know, Apple has now provided us with some great new technologies for doing layout in Swift, that is much more efficient and much more customizable. And we are very interested in taking advantage of that in the new version of Omni So we are going back and we're looking at, okay, well, what's some of the code that we have, you know, spent time on this last year or <laughs> laboriously kind of working around the limitations of, of course, UI was in the currently shipping operating system. And now looking ahead, okay, here's how we can do that much simpler in the new operating system, but it does mean we're going to have to throw away a bunch of that old code and rebuild it and put it on top of something else
0: oh, that's such a hard thing to to figure out. You know, how do I assess the risk of you know having us all move forward and develop something custom, knowing that they may eventually come out with the exact same thing, and then you're just ripping out code that you've already created, and you know that's that's taking away time. Or, but at the same time, you can't wait forever. There's no promise. Uh, a flip side of that. Talk to me about, and this is no promise of future features, but what did you see that got you thinking like? oh man, that would be awesome to make its way into, into some of our products. We've seen WeatherKit, we've seen uh, the lock screen widgets. Is there something in there that you're like, hmm, that would be interesting for us?
1: Yeah. Well, the very first thing that came to mind when I watched the Keynote was those lock screen widgets seem perfect for OmniFocus. You would love, of course, to have your tasks right there on your lock screen to have the same thing available on your watch. It's great that they made it possible to share that code back and forth so that When we do the work for either one, now it's immediately available for the other one. And so we kind of get twice the bang for the buck in terms of the investment we make and the value our customers receive. So that one, you know, is a very obvious one. Another one that that I saw that, oh yes, finally, we can do that. And of course, we're going to use it as soon as possible, was the ability to customize toolbars on the iPad in the new iPad OS. And so, you know, we struggled in the past over deciding, well, what, belongs in the toolbar, what doesn't, we want to not overwhelm people with a lot of options that are visible at once, but we don't necessarily know which features different customers are going to want. Some people really want automation in the toolbar. Other people don't want it at all because they never use it. And now that it's kind of a standard feature of the operating system to be able to customize it, to include the things you want, people will be able to make that decision for themselves. We'll still get to argue over what goes there by default in the initial setup. And what goes there on the iPhone where you don't have that customizability, but it will at least make things nicer for people who are using the latest iPad OS, much like we've always had on Mac OS, I should note, you know, we've, we've always liked supporting customizable toolbars there because
0: it lets you put the things that matter to you on <laughs> it. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you see anything else that got the wheel spinning?
1: There were so many other things that Apple introduced you mentioned with the kid already, but there were also things like Swift charts and pass keys, focus filters. Apple introduced a whole new collaboration framework called Shared With You. And of course, you know, they made improvements to short pets and Siri, giving us a wealth of new capabilities. So we look forward to building on that. As I mentioned in the post, I'm a tiny bit jealous of people who are just starting out now and, and they have all of this to build on top of instead of having to build or rebuild on top of the whole stuff now. not jealous enough that I'd want to start over from scratch. <laughs>
0: but. Yeah. And this brings us, I think, to the question, you know, this is maybe part of the central question that everybody has an eye on when they're watching WWDC is, is this going to affect the roadmap for OmniFocus moving forward? You know, is there so much disruptive change here that we're going to have to reassess the way that things are going down the pipe? No. Yay. <laughs>
1: Unfortunately. Yeah, we uh, that was, of course, the the big question that was in our minds heading into WWDC is. We've done all this work over this past year, we're now quite a ways along in our design freeze milestone. We've already closed out our feature freeze milestone. Are we going to have to reopen that to add some new features? Well, obviously we are talking about adding a new feature around the uh, lock screen widgets, but, but that's something that we can't really ship until the new operating system ships. And we don't have to do a bunch of work that would make the existing code require of the new operating system. That was really the worry. So we can continue to ship the product on iOS 15, as well as 16. And if you're running on 16, you get to have some of these new features. And if you're still on 15, that's okay. And that means that we don't have to tie
0: our development schedule to Apple's development schedule and there's no extra delay caused by that. Oh my goodness. That in and of itself. Such good news. And that's exciting too, to think, you know, okay, we're plowing forward. This is good. Uh, on behalf of the customers, uh, I just want to say, again, thank you so much for all you do. I mean, the fanaticism <laughs> with which you approach, uh, the customer service, just how you're popping and mean, just looking at Slack alone, you know, how you're popping in personally to answer questions. I know that the customers are too. Um, uh, so thank you for that.
1: Oh, thank you. I mean, we certainly appreciate our customers. That's why we do what we do. We wouldn't be doing this if our customers weren't interested in using the results. So uh, we appreciate everyone's support through the year. Anyone who's listening right now, thank you for listening. And of course, to anyone who's testing all of these test builds, thank you for your patience as we try different things. And uh, some of the experiments stick around and some we quickly find are are just terrible ideas and they get thrown out.
0: We appreciate your patience. That's perfect. Thanks, Ken. Take care. Hey, and thank all of you for listening today, too. As always, you can drop us a line at The Omni Show on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you there. You can also find out everything that's happening with The Omni Group at omnigroup.com blog.